Well, would you go ahead and take out your Bibles with me this morning? Let's open them up to the book of John and chapter 13. John chapter 13. As you're opening there, let me begin with this question. Uh, it's a question for Christians. Uh, I hope any unbelievers who are with us will uh, pay attention and, and hear what is being said this morning. Uh, but it is a question for Christians. And here's the question Are you a World War II Christian? Or are you a Vietnam Christian? Are you a World War II Christian? Or are you a Vietnam Christian? You see, everything changed for the United States when Pearl Harbor was attacked on Sunday, December 7th, 1941. President Roosevelt declared that this was a day that would live in infamy. 2,400 Americans were killed by the Japanese during that attack. And overnight, a country that had been disinterested in the world war taking place elsewhere suddenly found themselves very much in the thick of it. The attack happened suddenly as a surprise on that Sunday. On Monday morning, there were long lines outside of the recruiting offices for the United States military. Tens of thousands came to late work on that mon- came to work late on that Monday only to tell their bosses that they would be leaving for boot camp that weekend. Teenagers lied about their ages in order to serve. Many who were technically unfit uh, lied about their physical health in order that they could serve. All across the country, there was suddenly this, this great desire to go and to serve in the defense of the nation. Now contrast that with what happened during Vietnam. Vietnam was a very unpopular war. Unlike World War II, the vast majority of soldiers that fought had to be drafted. Thousands left the country in order not to serve and to dodge the draft. Donald Whitney has said that Christians tend to be like either one of these two scenarios. Either we are excited and eager to serve Christ and His church, or we are reluctant and we seek to dodge Christ's commands to serve. And so I ask you again, which are you when it comes to your eagerness, your desire to serve Christ by serving His people? Which best describes your passion, your eagerness? Are you a World War II kind of Christian? Or are you a Vietnam kind of Christian? And which do you think you ought to be? The case for serving God by serving one another is a very strong one in the Scriptures. Uh, First, we are commanded by the God who loves us, who has saved us, who is wiser than us, the God who is our Heavenly Father. He is the one that commands us to serve one another. Galatians 5, verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
Here is the command of God to all Christians in the context of each local church, serve one another. And if we trust God and He trusts He knows what's best for us and we trust that He loves us, then we're going to take that command to heart to serve one another. One of the reasons that God did not bring you to heaven the moment that He saved you is because He has good works that He has planned for you to carry out during your remaining days on earth. Uh, remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a works, so that no man may boast. And then comes verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, part of the reason that God has saved you is because He has something He wants you to do. Not just one thing, but many things that He has ordained for you to carry out in your life as a Christian to serve others and to serve the kingdom. And the more you embrace ministry, the more you give yourself to serving God by serving this church, the more you're going to grow and, and walk with God and you're, you're going to grow in your intimacy with Him and grow in your trust in Him. Becoming a servant is one of the primary ways that we bring glory to God. When we do good deeds in God's name, out of the love that He has shown to us, it shows the world how great He is. God doesn't have to work this way, but He has chosen that most people will see His goodness and love through the behavior and actions of His children. It is as you and I encourage one another, love one another, help one another, come alongside one another, that people will see the love of God in us when they see us sacrificing, us serving to do others good they will see the characteristics of the Father in His children. We are not to serve as unbelievers serve. That is, we're not simply to serve others as neighbors helping neighbors. No, we are to serve as Christians, living in the light of what God has done for us and how much He loves us. We are to be living in light of the fact that heaven is ahead for us. And with that in view... We have the strength to lay down our lives in service to one another, to go the extra mile for one another, to not just serve when it is convenient or when it happens to align with something we already desire. No, as Christians, we serve even when it's inconvenient, even when it requires much of us, even when it messes up our plans. For in that sacrifice, we show the sacrificial love of our Father who gave His Son for us. Becoming a servant is part of our spiritual growth. It's part of becoming Christ-like. It's part of the race that God has called you to run. And so when I preach messages about running the race and run hard and endure in the race and go for the prize, what am I telling you to do? Go out on the road and run? No. I'm telling you, persevere in service. Persevere in giving of yourself for, for the sake of others. Becoming a servant is how we truly become great in this life. Mount Hermon, do you want to be great? Do you want to be a great person? That's a good thing to desire, to be great. 
Well, Jesus said, Mark 10, 43-44, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I could go on with the biblical case for service. Let me mention just one more point, namely that we should show our love to Jesus as we serve his bride. That is, we serve one another because we love our Savior and the church is his bride. We, we honor our Savior by honoring the one that he loves, that, that he gave his life for. If you want to show your love to Jesus, if you want to show worship and adoration to him, care for his bride, his people. Now, we know those things. We as a church know that God has called us to be living our lives in such a way that we are giving of ourselves for one another. Why do we not always serve as we ought? Why are we not always as quick to sacrifice and and to be inconvenienced as we ought to be? Well, for some of us, it may be messed up priorities. Uh, We've allowed other things to take up too much of our time, too too much of our mental power, too much of our energy and our resources and, and attention, and we're too busy to serve other people. We've just got too many other things going on in our lives, and we've allowed other things to take priority. And if that's us, we need to repent. And we need to give Christ's church a rightful place. We need to give one another their rightful place, considering others more important than ourselves. Uh, For others, it may be that we've just gotten too caught up in selfish, self-centered living. Uh, We spend far too much time doing the things we want instead of doing things that need to be done. Visiting the sick and the elderly. Um, chores around the church building, chores in, in the homes of, of some of the homebound in our church. Maybe there are couples in the church who could use a, a babysitter for the night. Or maybe there's a church member who knows some, who needs something and you have the skill to be able to meet that need. I could go on and on from this pulpit about how so many of you in this room have met the needs of my family over the years. Now, I long to have that serving, sacrificial spirit that so many in this room already have. But we all fight this battle against selfishness, against self-centeredness, against uh, slothfulness, and not wanting to be inconvenienced by the needs of others. How often do we fail to lift up one another in times of earnest intercessory prayer? Because in all honesty, in our selfishness, we'd rather do other things. Yes, my brother, my sister... They need to be prayed for. But you know what? I just don't feel like doing that. How often do we let our lives become characterized by that kind of selfishness and we fail to serve as we ought? But there is another reason why sometimes we don't serve as we ought. And that's what we're going to focus on. And that's that sometimes we're just too insecure. That is, we are so caught up in anxiety and worry about our own lives that we don't feel like we can even look beyond ourselves to the needs of other people. Sometimes we feel so burdened by the weight of our own lives and the things that we need to figure out that that need to be done that that we can't imagine even having the strength to help other people deal with with their burdens and, and their problems. 
Maybe we're living in fear or despair or distress. Maybe we're pulling out our own hair at the things that we need to get done and we feel like we're never able to look at the needs of others. This is insecurity. And insecurity paralyzes us so that we do not serve as we ought. Well, our passage this morning deals directly with this issue. Look with me at John 13, beginning in verse 1. Our focus will be on verse 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In our, pas- in our passage, Jesus is setting the example for us of service. He is the master of these men. They are his disciples, and yet he unrobes himself in his attire as well as in his actions. He becomes as a menial servant before them. He comes to each one of his disciples, and he carefully washes each man's feet. Jesus has been loving these men. Jesus has been serving these men for three years, and he's getting ready to go to the cross for their sakes. And now in visible, physical form, he is setting the example for them of genuine, heartfelt, sacrificial service. Now, let me ask you this question. If you knew that over the next 24 hours, you were going to be betrayed, slandered, wrongly convicted, mocked, beaten, spat upon, sliced open, crucified and then you would die where would your mind be at this moment if you knew that was coming in your next 24 hours where would your heart and mind be Jesus was a true human being yes he was the son of God but as a man okay He shut himself off from his deity and existed in this moment as a true man experiencing real temptation to worry, real temptation to anxiety, real temptation to stress. Hebrews says that there is no temptation you face that Jesus did not face as well. So here is Jesus in the upper room knowing from the Old Testament, knowing from the Spirit what is about to come to him He knows that he is like a sheep that is getting ready to be led to a slaughter. And on his mind at this moment is the welfare of his disciples. At this moment, his attention is on these other men. And he is caring for them. And he is loving them. Jesus' troubles over the next 24 hours are the kind that, that far surpass anything that you and I are going to face this week. 
Not only was physical agony and abandonment by his friends about to happen to him, he was about to experience the very wrath of God. He had the experience of hell coming to him in 24 hours, less than 24 hours. He was about to have his father, the one he loved most, the one he trusted most. His father is going to forsake him. The guilt of all the sinners in the world who will ever trust him is going to be placed on his shoulders. He is going to be condemned in their place. And yet somehow, with all of that about to come upon him, he is concerned with these men. How are they doing? What can he do to encourage them now? You see, Jesus was so secure that he was not paralyzed by temptations to worry or stress or despair. Why? What was his secret to be freed to serve others in the midst of that kind of trial? Verse 3 is our answer. In fact, verse 3 gives us three answers, and they're very helpful. These three answers will help us to be secure so that we can stop worrying so much about our own lives and our own needs and and we can expand our vision to see those who are in need around us and to care for them. First, notice that Jesus served out of the knowledge that his Father had given him all things. Do you see that in our verse? That his Father had given him all things. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands now admittedly this hadn't actually happened yet it wouldn't be until after his death the next day and then his resurrection that jesus would receive from his father his reward for perfect obedience which would include authority over all things Jesus is going to do what Adam didn't and didn't do he he is going to obey perfectly And for doing this, Jesus is going to earn, as a man, the reward of dominion over the whole universe. As Jesus is going to tell his disciples, after he is resurrected, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is so certain that his Father, by the Spirit, is going to keep him faithful and obedient to the end, that he speaks of this reward as if it's a done deal. All things are being given to him. Mount Hermon, do you see how this helped Christ to have security? You see, it's one thing to experience the cross. It's another thing to experience the cross when you know that on just the other side, your father is going to reward you with everything. All things were being given to Christ. He was going to be exalted to the highest place. He is going to be made preeminent over all things. Jesus already ruled over all things and was preeminent as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, but now as a true man, as Jesus, Son of Mary. He is going to endure the cross with what before Him? The promise that all things will be given to Him. This was the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here was Jesus' security. His Father was going to sustain him through the cross and then give him everything. What about you as a Christian? Do you remember that Jesus obeyed perfectly and went to the cross for our sakes? That Jesus received all things from the Father, not just for himself, but for us too? You see, when Jesus was given all things by his Father, you as his bride became a participant in that gift. You, through your relationship to Christ, are being given all things. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. What does Paul mean by that astounding statement? Paul's point there is that the Christ who has been given all things is your Christ. And he is using his authority over all things for your good. And there is going to be a day when you are going to reign with him over a new heavens and a new earth. Even now, as you fulfill your callings, You are reigning with Christ in this world and you know that everything happening in this world is being worked for your good. All things, everything is yours. It's being worked to make you holy and one day you will reign. Since Christ has all authority, do you doubt that you will receive from his hand whatever you need at any moment of your life? Why be caught up in fret or worry when your Christ who loves you has possession of everything? Do you think there's a person in this world who's not in his hands? Do you think there's a storm, that there's an economic collapse, that there is a rise or fall of nation that is outside of the control of the Savior who loves you, who is your shepherd, who is committed to your welfare? Trust him. Remember the birds of the air. Remember the lilies of the field. You are of more value to God than they. He takes care of them. And through Christ's authority over all things, God is taking care of you. And so you and I as Christians can be set free from our anxiety so that we can now live in the service of others. Hudson Taylor Hudson Taylor became a man who gave his life to serving the people of inland China. Uh, His great desire was to win as many people as possible to the Lord Jesus Christ in inland China, to establish as many churches as possible. This was a man who gave his life to the service of others. But think about all of the scary aspects of being an Englishman going to China in the 1800s. He didn't know how he would be received when he got there. There was already the threat of violence and rumors of war before he went, and that war broke out when he got there. So many missionaries in Hudson Taylor's day 
travel to distant lands only to be immediately sent home to heaven or sent home to where they came from by a foreign disease. You see, Hudson Taylor had so much to worry about. Here he is as a man in the 1800s traveling to this foreign nation and foreign peoples. And yet, as a young man, God had used a number of experiences to teach Hudson Taylor that he needed only to trust his God. There was the time when his paycheck was late and he didn't know if he would have food to eat. And God used an unusual providence to bring him just what he needed, just in the nick of time. Hudson Taylor's biography is full of those stories as a young man where God comes through just in the nick of time to teach him. When you get to China and everything looks scary, don't be scared. You're safe. You just serve those people. See, God prepared him for that. Think about John Patton, a man who was giving his life to preaching the gospel to cannibals on the island of the New Hebrides. Mount Hermon, what kind of worries might you experience if you knew you were going to preach the gospel to cannibals? What fears might enter your mind? Especially if you knew that the previous missionaries that had been sent had been killed and eaten. And now you get to go. What's going through your heart? What's going through your mind? And yet God used several experiences in the life of John as a young man to teach him that he would be provided for. Uh, There were days when his family had their barrel of flour and and they each day depended on this and said, this is what we eat from. And and there were days when it would be empty. And his mom and dad would pray saying, we don't know how we're going to feed this family tomorrow. And then a, a package would arrive at the doorstep in the morning. Don't know who it came from. Don't know where it came from. And God would provide. See, God was teaching John Patton, I am going to take care of you. You will not experience one moment of want or suffering or need unless I have deemed it good for you. You are safe and secure in my hands. You be free to serve these people. You're going to be okay, John. Christians, all things are ours. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that his Father would sustain him and give him all things on the other side of the cross. You and I, can be free from anxiety because our Savior is reigning over all. And so we can serve others. But second, our verse tells us that Jesus knew where he had come from. He knew that he had come from God. Do you see that in verse 3? You see it there? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. Have you ever thought about what that was like for Jesus? Discovering that he had come from God? Because remember, he was a true man. He had to grow in knowledge. He had to grow in wisdom, just as, as we do. We, we don't think he was born knowing he was the Messiah. He had to learn that. He had to learn it from the Word, by the Spirit. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus as a child? hearing his mom and dad share with him about the angels and the announcements about his birth. Can you hear Joseph saying, you see, son, this is why we named you Jesus. The angel said you would save your people from their sins. And Jesus, as a boy, is thinking, my people? Who are my people? We can guess that Joseph and Mary would have told Jesus about Simeon and Anna, those dear elderly people who rejoiced when Jesus was brought as an infant to the temple. And they said the most amazing things to Joseph and to Mary about this baby boy. 
And you can just imagine Joseph and Mary relating these things to Jesus. You're someone special. They said you were the Messiah. And so Jesus, even as a boy, took a great interest in the Old Testament scriptures. He was learning who he was. We know that by age 12, he was at least enough of a scholar to be uh, debating with the scholars in the temple. People saying that he wasn't old enough to, to know what he knew. Jesus was learning from the scriptures by the Spirit who he was. What the angels had meant. Why Simeon and Anna had said those things. And then there was the fact that one of the Old Testament books had his name on it. Right? Remember, Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua. Jesus' Hebrew name was Joshua. And so here he is learning who he is, and there's this book of the Bible with his name on it called Joshua. And what's it about? A man who leads God's people out of bondage into the promised land. And so Joshua is the shadow. Jesus is the real thing. And and Jesus is discovering who he is, that, that he is God, and the Spirit is teaching him through the Word. This was not a maniacal delusion, right? This was not Jesus as a, as a kook, th- believing these things, thinking these things with no reality behind them. No, no, he was learning this objectively from the pages of Scripture. He was learning it subjectively through the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to know who he was, where he had come from. And by knowing this, he was able to know his purpose. By knowing this, he was able to know the reason why he was on this earth. And in that confidence, he was able to focus on blessing others, even by laying down his life. Um, I think of the movie Superman. Um, I still prefer the 1978 version, uh, not the new version. Uh, They capture so much better the struggle of Clark Kent learning who he is and what his purpose is. And there's this wonderful moment in the movie where Clark Kent is able to commune with his father. And he's in his fortress of solitude and he's learning from his father who he is, where he came from, why he is on the earth. And when that conversation is over, for the first time, we see Clark Kent turn into Superman. We see him fly for the first time. And the idea is that now he knows. Now he, he has that confidence. He knows where he comes from. He knows who he is. He knows why he's on the earth. Well, similarly, the man Jesus Christ learned from his heavenly Father. He communed with his Father. He was above all things a man of prayer, a man who would go alone to talk to God. And so during these wonderful moments, Jesus was learning these things. And here's what we know for sure. We know that by the time Jesus is 30 years old and is beginning his ministry... He knows who he is and he knows where he came from and he knows why he's on this earth and it was in the calm security of that knowledge that he is able to face the next 24 hours with peace and that he is able to focus on the needs of others so dear Christian let me ask you do you know where you came from do you know that God not only created you and gave you life But do you know that God gave you new life if you're a Christian? That you are a reborn person, a born-again person, that God's Holy Spirit has come into your life and transformed you, and He has transformed you for a purpose. You are a new creation in Christ, walking in this old creation world, and you are here for a reason. What is that reason? Ephesians 2, verse 10 
He has good works prepared for you. He has things for you to do in this world. And what do they include? Well, they include Galatians 5.13. Serve one another. Dear Christian, know where you are. Know who you are. Know where you've come from. Know what God has done in your life. And in that confidence, live out the purpose God has given to you. Are you doing that? Third, notice that our verse tells us that Jesus knew that he was going back to God. Do you see that in verse 3? We saw Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. That was point one. And that he had come from God. That's point two. And now point three. And was going back to God. Jesus not only knew that, that God had given all things to him and that he had come from God, but he knew where he was headed. Not only as the Son of God, but as a true man. Jesus was going to the cross, and through the cross, he was going back to his Father. What a joy this must have been for our Savior. I mean, what could be better than this, right? What could be better than to be with our Heavenly Father who loves us supremely? Dear Christian, do you know what your future holds? Do you know what's coming your way? Do you think much about the wonders of heaven? The moment we breathe our last, we will be in the presence of Christ Himself. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will get to be with our Father. Remember, uh, Ecclesiastes, our death day will be better than our birthday. We were born the first time into a cursed world of misery and sin and death. But when we die as Christians, we enter into a world of love, a world of peace, a world of never-ending life. No more battle with sin. No more conflict. No more disasters. All is going to be good and true and beautiful. Dear friends, when we know what is ahead for us, and when we know that it's guaranteed, and we, that we have the Spirit as the guarantee of what's ahead for us, do you see how it frees you up to serve others? Who cares if serving others means you don't get to have the best that this life has to offer? There's a whole other life coming that's so much better than this one. Right? We can... We can radically lay down our lives in sacrifice for one another in sacrifice for the kingdom because we know what our future holds we know where we're going and so church let's focus on serving one another let's focus on serving the needs in the community around us let's focus on serving those missionaries that we're we're supporting let's be a church that's imitating our savior and laying down our lives to see others come to know our God and to love Him more. And so as we come to the Lord's table, let's be freshly reminded that we could not have this security. We could not have this freedom to focus on the needs of others were it not for the cross. God would not be just to work everything for our good were it not for the cross. God would be wicked if he blessed criminals the way he has blessed us. It is only because of the cross that we are able to be counted righteous and that God is just to bless us in this way. Every good gift we have 
comes from God. And every good gift was secured and purchased by Christ through his blood at the cross. Mount Hermon, you will never find anyone who has done so much for you as Jesus. You will never find another who loves you more than your Savior loves you. The Father's love for you is an ocean, a very universe of love. And it comes to you in Jesus Christ. See God's love for you as you remember that Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, let us remember, let us believe, and let us find joy in the love and the security that our Savior brings to us. And in the security of his great love, let us find the freedom to serve one another.